You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. Both hero and villain, tireless civil rights advocate and purveyor of pornography, the always controversial Larry Flint is the subject of today's guest, Joan Brooker Mark's documentary, Larry Flint, The Right to be Left Alone. Delving beyond Flint's political career, Brooker Marx offers an intimate glimpse into the publisher's personal life, including the assassination attempt that left him paralyzed and his first wife's battle with AIDS. Larry Flint, The Right to be Left Alone, will screen in Los Angeles at the International Documentary Association's DocuWeek, August 17th through 23rd at the Arclight Theater. Joan Brooker Marx, welcome to film school. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you today? I'm doing great. Good. Getting did, ready to come to Los Angeles tomorrow. Where did we reach you? Oh, New York City. So are you looking forward to the trip and a little bit anxious or <laughs> eager? <laughs> well, it'll be great to see the film. Traveling these days, as you know, isn't a lot of fun. No. <laughs> and I don't have Larry's Gulf Force, so, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm a continental girl. Uh, how did you come to make this film? What was, uh, what was the impetus behind this? It's actually kind of ironic, because before I had done women's films, and I was working in early pre-production on a film about the sexual trafficking of women from Ukraine. As I said, I was in early pre-production, and my husband came to me, and he said, what do you think about doing a documentary on Larry Flint? <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, I think that's really interesting. So he flew to Los Angeles, talked to Larry. Larry said carte blanche, and off we went. Wow. So he's very open to this. Very open, yes. He was wonderful. It was an amazing experience. He completely opened his life to us, and wow. I think I did some 20 interviews with him. He does seem like a, a person who is willing to sort of be an open book. He doesn't seem to really be a person who feels the desire to hide his intentions or his emotions very much. Not at all. He's one of the most honest people I know. He's very direct. It's ironic with all the criticism he gets for, for outing politicians. It's, I think he's got more integrity than, than most of them will ever have. He's just so honest. And uh, he has nothing to hide. I mean, everybody's seen him in in various facets of his life, from the assassination to the Falwell case to the wearing the American flag to the DeLorean tapes, all of that. I know you spent some time on the assassination attempt in your film. Mm-hmm. How did that go? Was there any trouble getting hold of any of the, the footage of that? Or was, was he open to everything? Did he have any footage of it? Oh, he has footage of everything that's ever happened to him. His archives are amazing. Mm. So you just cull through this, all this archival wow. stuff. Some of it has to be licensed if you can find it at NBC or CBS, and they were wonderful. And some of it is just local footage, which doesn't exist anymore. So that's really kind of a fair use thing. Well, so uh, you got hold of some uh, footage that just isn't around except for in his collection, and it's in the film, too. Correct. All Uh local footage, in fact, I don't think they keep more than a few months. So unless a major network picks up the local feed and utilizes that within their broadcast, the footage is lost forever. But he tapes everything. (laughs) Everything. (laughs) In going through this uh, part of his life, the assassination attempt on him, um, was it in any way, could, did you 
find that he was uncomfortable or was it painful for him to kind of relive? Not at all. There, there's not one ounce of, of a self-pity or feeling sorry for himself and Larry Flint. I think that he, and he says in, in the film certainly, that it wasn't about who shot him, but what shot him. And why Joseph Paul Franklin did that, which was, as you know, Larry was the first to run a cover and a spread on a black man with a white woman. And um, Joseph Paul Franklin was a racist, and he hated that, and he shot Larry. He also attempted to assassinate Vernon Jordan as well, and he's a serial killer now on death row, I think, in Kansas or Missouri. So he doesn't get emotional about that. I think one of the things Franklin said was, did he have any regrets? And Franklin said he wished he hadn't shot Larry Flint. He heard he was a real nice guy. Larry said he'd like to get in a room with him. Prove that he isn't. To prove that he isn't, yeah. Right at the top, you said that uh, you had been working on a, mm-hmm. on a film dealing with trafficking of women. Mm-hmm. And, and here you are now, you're walking into a room with, with someone who deals in pornography. Any, right. any uncomfortable moments well, there? Maybe the most famous pornographer yeah. in, the, in the world. He's the poster boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, unfairly, I think. Not at all. What Larry does is, is not what uh, Ukraine is doing um, and many other countries in the world with the tacit approval of this country and a lot of Europe, Western European countries. The women that, that I observe, the women um, who pose for Hustler, whether it's in videos or the print, uh, do so by choice. What astounded me was these thousands of young women come into Los Angeles, get connected in Van Nuys, and they want to be, they really want to be porn stars. They want to be Jenna Jameson. This is their life's dream and ambition. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it personally, but it's, it's there, and I don't think that you can ignore it. This mm-hmm. is a choice. And certainly, you know, Larry's girls are not, or the, the women that work on there are not abused in any way. They run a very tight ship. Have you encountered uh, friends, colleagues who have who have uh, you know, sort of given you some <laughs> resistance on this? Has there been has there been any backlash? Initially, yeah. uh, when I said, "Oh, I'm going to do a documentary on Larry Flint," there there was what I call the ick factor. <laughs> um, the people that don't know Larry don't know what it's what he's about. Just associate him with Hustler, and it's ooh. And I would say, oh, come on, you don't really understand him completely or know what he's done. And I found a lot of people who eventually saw the film or talked to me about the film um, were able to really re-inform themselves about Larry. And, I mean, look, none of us is any one thing, including Larry Flint. He has lived a complex and layered life. Mm Yes, he is a pornographer, but that does not minimize his contributions to the First Amendment or make him any less a patriot. On the contrary, but I just don't think people are willing to get past that, or they don't know about it. I want to get to the First Amendment, but I also want to want to kind of recall a little bit of his personal history, which is he does have the ability and uh, to attract people that you wouldn't think he would be associated mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. Well, going back to uh, uh, Jimmy Carter's sister tried to con- right. convert him or become a born-again, as she was. And then, of course, we can get into Falwell, but with that which will tie into the First Amendment stuff. Yeah, we're speaking with Joan Brooker-Marks. The documentary is Larry Flint, The Right to Be Left Alone. I, I was just uh, browsing around on the Internet. I came across somebody who said, what a title for a film, Larry Flint's never left anyone alone. <laughs> you know, so so what's, what's this all about? What do you say to someone like that? I know the source 
of some of the stuff on the web, and these are what I call these these 70s, 80s feminists that live in this kind of, of entrenched feminism. It's identity politics, in other words. There's no room for dialogue, no room for conversation. They just hate Larry Flint. I mean, these are women, you know, and these are these sort of radical feminists or conservative feminists that align themselves, many of them, with, with the Christian rights um, position on, on pornography. And I, they just don't represent the majority of American women. That kind of feminism doesn't. And in fact, I think it's shrill, I think it's strident, and I think it, it alienates a lot of women because it's just, it's just accusatory. And, and so much of what... These, these feminists bring up about Larry has been asked and answered, and some of these allegations are totally false and untrue. Mm-hmm. And I think border on slander. Um, and I think you have a right not to like pornography, but I also think that this, this becomes some sort of demonic mission. Again, we're, we're Larry Flint's the poster boy, uh, and I think that's not fair. And if they really were concerned about the objectification of women, this broader dialogue, uh, let's start with advertising in the fashion industry. Yeah. If they want a broader conversation, they don't. They want to hate Larry Flint. And it's a, it's a small few, but they're vocal, and their guerrilla tactics are excellent. Yeah. <laughs> they do attract uh, yep. uh, you know, a, a, a sizable part of the dialogue emanates from them. Can I add something to sure. that? Coming from, from some of these you know, more conservative feminists, there's things, I mean, two things. One is that some of them, and I've actually read this, that Dworkin's you know, stuff dealt with it, where they equate sexual intercourse with rape. Right. I, I mean, which most women think is absolutely preposterous. And secondly, there's this um, feminist, I won't uh, mention her name, who actually said, um, who's very, you know, despises Larry Flint, who actually said she was sorry the bullet missed. Yeah. Oh, now, okay. what woman wants to be involved with that kind of vitriol? Yeah. And that's not reasonable kind of thinking or a real honest debate about pornography, which I think there is room for. Absolutely. Yeah. You said you did uh, 20 interviews with him? Something like that. Wow, that, that must have given you an awful lot of footage. Uh, oh, yeah. About how many hours did you end up with just of him in the interviews? We ended up with about, because oh, we went it was about 20 hours. Wow. Maybe 25 hours, something like that. Yeah. Do you have a good time editing all this? It was it was fascinating. I yeah. loved it. You know, it's it's my favorite part besides being with Larry, of course, because it's a profile of someone, and it's looking at someone's life or the condition of one's life. It doesn't really have this inherent beginning, middle, and an end. So, structuring it is really difficult to keep it moving forward, to keep it interesting, to mm-hmm. find a way to give it architecture and shape and form and look at it from a narrative point of view and still retain the integrity and make it entertaining. So it was a real challenge, and it was my first, this is my first feature, but I loved every minute of it. Now, you, you said something that is very consistent. We have independent filmmakers and documentary filmmakers, and they say the editing is always the most fun, creative yeah. uh, part of it. How did the film change from when you were in your mind and as far as where it was going and how did how much did it change and in what ways did it change uh, well, for the finished film? Significantly, I mean, from the beginning, because Larry speaks to a lot of colleges around the country. Students love him. And he's spoken at, at Harvard. In fact, we shot him there, but Princeton, I think Yale, Oxford, all of those, and gives this talk. And initially we were going to shape the film 
around one of those talks. In other words, as he get, prepares to leave, going on the plane with him, the talk, interviews in between, and that was really the concept or the vision of the film. But when I started interviewing him and when I went into those archival rooms and saw this amazing stuff, I thought, well, maybe Harvard's a part of it or speaking to the kids is part of it. But there are more possibilities here. I think that I can go deeper in this and, and certainly make this more layered. And so I started shooting with that in mind. We're speaking with Joan Brooker Marks. Her film is Larry Flint, The Right to be Left Alone. Did you think that uh, Larry Flint changed after he made this film? Do you, did, has he seen it and he, does he have any reaction to it? I, no, I don't think he's changed. Yeah. Um, but I do think that, and Larry isn't really effusive. Yes, I think, he, I know he likes the film very much. What he said to me before I started was, you know, Joni, nobody's gotten it right. And what he said to me after he saw it, he said, well, I shed a few tears. I think you got it right. You got it right, you know. So that meant a lot to me. In other words, I wasn't just emphasizing the bling and the outsized personality, Mm -hmm. but this other thing. Did he have any uh, tears when he saw the, uh, well, his his first wife's battle with AIDS? Is that when it, you know? I think so. I didn't, I didn't see it. He's very circumspect about uh-huh. that thing, and it was dark, but he mentioned he shed a few tears, and I, I am sure, I'm sure that was with Alf, Alfia was everything to him. You know, it was a devastating loss. Let's talk a little more about the, the part of the film where, we're, where we get into the First Amendment, and I guess most famously in the court case, of course, that he's best known for uh-huh. is his struggles with Jerry Falwell, the suit involving him and Falwell. Over defamation. It was a defamation. I can't remember. Yeah, it was. Well, it was actually ended up being hurt feelings because the the jury in Virginia, this is why it went to the Supreme Court. What happened was is that it was a libel case and they didn't find libel, but they awarded Jerry Falwell, I think, 200 thousand two hundred fifty thousand for hurt feelings that larry had hurt his feelings and that's what larry fought because and that's why it went to the supreme court well, well, because the case was about can you literally sue somebody because they write something or draw something or enact something that hurts someone's feelings it became a huge constitutional issue also for mainstream journalists they started getting worried too well, let, let's back up just to, just one step and, and sure. say that Falwell sued Larry Flint. Jerry Falwell, the uh-huh. uh, head of the Moral Majority, mm-hmm. sued Larry Flint because of a cartoon that was in Hustler, which depicted Falwell with his mother in an outhouse in an, right. in an indelicate way. Shall yes. we say. <laughs> it was his first time. It was a com- you know Larry you know, the, used to do these take off on Campari ads. Right, mm-hmm. right. His first time. That's right. And so Falwell <laughs> sues. Uh huh. And. For libel. Well, he up... won the libel suit. Okay. But the jury awarded Falwell $200,000 for hurt feelings. Okay, I got gotcha. Which Larry just was not going to pay. So, so this court case winds its way all the way to the United States Supreme Court yep. for an historic ruling. Yes. And Rehnquist wrote the opinion. And it was an 8-0. Yep. You know, it doesn't happen very often. And no. you throw Larry Flynn into the mix, the, the idea that the Supreme Court would 8-0 in favor of, right. uh, of, of, a, of, pornographer. of a pornographer <laughs> is pretty stunning. And obviously yeah. he had a lot of legal standing. And really, uh, the point is, is that Flint has talked the talk and walked the walk when it comes to protection of the, the right. First Amendment rights that we all enjoy. 
I think the, the criticisms of him are that um, he's, he's doing it for self-serving reasons, that, in fact, he isn't really committed. He does it to sell more magazines, or um, he does it to serve his own need to be um, center stage. And that, that's just not true. First of all, the legal bills alone, you couldn't sell enough magazines to pay for those. I think he fell into it because of the early 1977 trial in Cincinnati, and he's just fought it ever since. He didn't choose to fight for First Amendment. He was forced to mm-hmm. um, because of, of, of Hustler and his belief that he had the right to publish it. And people had the right to look at it. And, and he's been tireless. And there's lots of things that he's done that people don't know about. Smaller little battles that will help people out of dis, you know, pornography distributors all throughout the country, you know, putting out brush fires. And, of course, the most immediate was um, his suit against um, Rumsfeld in the Pentagon to allow press access to the battlefield in, in Afghanistan and subsequently Iraq. Which I did not know. I and, know, I didn't either. And so it was because of Larry Flint that we, mm-hmm. at least, and there are people that would critique the embedded reporter idea, but nonetheless, at least it is a no. journalist on the ground with the troops being allowed, because of Larry Flint being allowed There to, would be no reporters There would be Larry no reporters, Flint, yeah. so, so, so let's give credit where credit is. We can... We can criticize, uh, you know, just how embedded some of these reporters are, but, right. but uh, or in bed with some of these. In guys. bed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, but that's still, nonetheless, uh, Larry Flint has gone beyond protecting right. his own self-interest into really the realm of protecting all of our interests. Right, and that didn't get a lot of play. There's a little bit of there was a little bit of press on that, but that wasn't this big issue. And of course, at the time, no one could really be critical, or your patriotism was questioned. You know, your loyalty or your country was questioned. Remember, this was in 2002, yes. 2003. The people that spoke their minds got into some serious trouble. Yeah. Um, then look at Bill Moore. Yeah, Larry did that. And I think he would criticize the embedding of reporters, too. But that was the result of they, they had this pretty good judge, and they kept going back. And so the government kept saying, well, we're going to do this, and we're doing this. And finally, the judge said, the case is moot now, because now the government is allowing these embedded reporters, so you can't say you're not having access. But the judge still found um, the right um, for press to have access to the battlefield, which had never been done before. So mm-hmm. that's on the books. That's fantastic. Even though the, the, even though the case itself fizzled away simply because the government finally came in with embedding the reporters. Or as you say, in bed with the reporters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, they look so silly sometimes, didn't some of them? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was, well, that was a sad point in our history and it's just getting sadder it I think. continues yeah, right? to be yeah. continues to be larry speaks to as you know a lot of that in the film about our cultural condition about this administration about this war about people who don't vote about the responsibility or irresponsibility of the media i think the disnification of the media or the way news has been entertainmentized even though that's not a word he speaks a lot to those issues not just First Amendment, although I think it all becomes part and parcel of the same thing. Uh, Nathan and I were talking about this uh, a couple of days ago. Larry Flint reminds me, uh, in some ways, of the sort of revolutionary era in the United States of the pamphleteers, the guys who would who would draw pictures of King George doing all kinds of disgusting <laughs> things. He, he sort of, to me, he's so in in his body. He's a body. Yeah. You know, troublemaker, rebel rouser, a guy who's not going to roll over when you come to him and tell him to stop doing something. He very much reminds me, he's in that vein of that, uh, really, a rich tradition of people whose intent is to make you mad. Right. And to make you think about things in, in ways that you probably would never have considered. 
That's a wonderful analogy, by the way. I, Larry will love it. I had <laughs> never thought about that. There is that connection. Yeah. The more you throw at him, <laughs> the more he'll come back. He just uh-huh. loves a good fight. Yeah. Good well, for him. Well, we need more people like Larry Flint fighting yeah. for our First Amendment rights, and we appreciate you coming on Film School to talk about uh, Larry Flint, The Right to Be Left Alone. It'll be showing this week as part of the DocuWeek program. Joan Brooker, Marks, thank you so much for being here on Film School. Oh, thank you so much for having me. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.